Okay. Um, so this chapter, begin, we, so we're done with the Gajendra Moksha pastime. And for those who are just joining, Gajendra Moksha was a beautiful um, pastime about uh, the Gajendra, the king of elephants, had a thousand year battle in the water with an alligator. And, and uh, finally, to, as he was, couldn't win the battle, he starts praying to Krishna, uh, because actually the Gajendra was King Indradumna in a previous life. And the alligator was a, a, a heavenly person in, in their previous life. Anyway, the whole, as what happens in the Bhagavatam all the time, it has a happy ending. <laughs> so, so now this chapter begins with a lot of names, right? Oh my gosh, look who else is coming, Jenny. It's Dana. So let me, uh, so welcome Dana. I just want uh, those folks who are regulars here to welcome uh, Jenny and Dana who are part of uh, a Wisdom of the Sages uh, team that we, we meet once a week. And anyone who here hasn't listened to Wisdom of the Sages, it's a, a wonderful podcast with uh, Koshtuba and Raghunath Prabhu's uh, every day. They, I mean, they've been doing it every day for several years now. It's unbelievable to do something like that every single day <laughs> to do a podcast. Um, and so very, very happy to have them. And also we have Kamal, who's first time here uh, listening. So great. And um, I won't introduce, well, Dana, I'll, I'll introduce, you know, uh, Dean is here. He's in the Navy in uh, California. His wife is, is a longtime devotee of Krishna here in Washington, D.C. And as I was saying, Henry's an old friend of Raghunath's and uh, a devotee for many, many, many years. And Shakshi Gopal is a senior devotee here from South India originally. And Shushil, I believe, is Bengali originally. And I think he's in Dallas. And Jiva Tattva and his wife, Ananda Rupa, are here and they are um, solid devotees, um, longtime servants of the temple here in Washington, D.C. They give Bhagavad Gita classes and do tons of service at the temple. And Gurudas is a brahmachari. He's unmarried and uh, a teacher and also a very senior disciple of Satsrut Maharaj. And Nandi Muki is from China, um, but she is calling in from, I think, New Jersey, as we, as you, if you want to pronounce it correctly, New Jersey. Um, and we have David from South Carolina, if I believe, right, Dave, right, Henry, South Carolina? Yes, okay. And we have a lot of people who listen to this on recording, so I uh, welcome, welcome everyone. And now let us get into the fifth chapter of the eighth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So, so what we're hearing is there's these different Manus that live a very long time, nothing compared to Brahma, but live a long time. And the Bhagavatam stories or, uh, or histories or pastimes are often told within the context of saying such and such Manu lived and this happened, just like that's how we got into the Gajendra pastime two or three chapters ago that Sukadev Goswami was explaining to Maharaj Pariksit the different historical things that took place. And then he just mentions, and there was an incarnation of Krishna called Hari who <laughs> delivered Gajendra. And Prakshamaraj, whoa, whoa, what's that about Gajendra? Tell me about that story. So that's going to happen kind of again here. But what, what, I, what I find kind of interesting is, so when a Manu comes to 
oversee the universe. It's a little bit like the, um, the political system in many parts of the world and here in America. So when, because I work for the federal government. So when a new president comes in, he selects his cabinet, his advisors. And then when there's a new president, they leave. And so that's kind of what we're going to be hearing in the first 14 or so verses in this chapter is there's this Manu and this person was Indra and this person was so-and-so and the next Manu like that. So I will um, read those kind of quickly. If you have any questions though, just stop me. By the way, um, for those who are new, this is a very uh, informal. So anytime there's a question, a comment, um, I usually ask for them, but also people just go off of mute or go in the chat and say what they want to say. And if I, I don't like what they say, then I kick them out. Of, I kick them out of the Zoom meeting. No, that's not true. <laughs> Never done that. <laughs> okay, so um, first number one, Sukadev Goswami continued, "O King, I have described to you the pastime of Gajendra Mokshana, which is a which is most pious to hear. Now listen to this." By hearing of such activities that the Lord one can be free from all sinful, all karmic reactions. Now, please listen as I describe Raivata Manus. That's one of the Manus. The brother of Tamasa Manu was the fifth Manu named Raivata. His sons were headed by Arjuna, Bali, and Vidya. O king, in the millennium of Raivata Manu, the king of heaven was known as Vibhu. So you see, that's like his cabinet. Among the demigods were the Bhutarayas. And among the seven brahmanas who occupied the seven planets were Hiranya Roma, Vedashira, and Urdva Bahu. From the combination of Shuba and his wife Vikunta, there appeared the supreme personality of Godhead Vaikunta, along with the demigods who were his personal plenary expansions. Just to please the goddess of fortune, the supreme personality of Godhead Vaikunta, at her request, created another Vaikunta planet, which is worshipped by everyone. Although the great activities and transcendental qualities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead's various incarnations are wonderfully described, sometimes we are unable to understand them. Yet everything is possible for Lord Vishnu. If one could count, listen to this, if one could count the atoms of the universe, then he could count the qualities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But no one can count the atoms of the universe, nor can anyone count the transcendental qualities of the Lord. So if you just kind of think about that for a minute, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, just try to, um, oh, here's Andy. Just try to uh, go to Ocean City, for those of us in the DC area, and count the, um, the grains of sand on the beach, right? I mean, it'd be pretty cold to do that today, but at Key West, you could try it. <laughs> It'll be a little warmer, or or even where Dana is in Northern California, although I, Northern Florida. Although I heard you guys have pretty cold weather the last few days in Cal in Florida, but anyway, you get the idea, right? You, could you imagine like going through each grain of sand? And obviously, there's many, 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 many more atoms in the universe than there are grains of sand on on you know the beaches of Florida. But that's how many qualities Krishna has. That's how wonderful he is. Like, you know, we have, a, we have a good friend and we say, well, yeah, yeah, 
he or she is really nice. They have a great sense of humor and um, they just are really easygoing and you can open up to them really easily and they're great listeners. And we can name, you know, five or 10 really great qualities. But imagine someone who has as many qualities as there are atoms in the universe. That would be a pretty special person. Yeah. Oh, Dana said, yes, it is cold. Of course, we're not gonna, we're not gonna feel sorry for you, Dana, because um, uh, we have, uh, let's see, even Nandimuki, I don't know if she got the snow, but she's in New Jersey and it's probably 20 or 15 degrees there. But we'll still feel a little bad for you, Dana. <laughs> yes, there is snow here, like marshmallow. Snow like marshmallows? Yes, because they're so thick. Uh-huh. And Nandi, Mugi, did you get snow in the part of China that you're from? Yes, in Beijing, usually there is some snow during the winter. Oh, okay, all right, good. Well, in, enjoy the marshmallows. If they're vegan marshmallows, you can you know, roast them. <laughs> you can get vegan marshmallows in Trader Joe's and places. <laughs> all right, thank you, for, thank you for that, Mandy. I hope you're okay and you have electricity and everything. All right, so we are on text eight. The son of Chakshu, known as Chakshusha, was the sixth Manu. He had many sons headed by Puru, Purusha, and Sudyuma during the reign of Chakshushamanu. So this is the next Manu. And they live, I can't remember, but hundreds of thousands of earth years. Um, the king of heaven was known as Mantra-Druma. Among the demigods were the Apsyas, and among the great sages were Havisman and uh, Virakka. In the sixth Manvantar millennium, Lord Vishnu, the master of the universe, appeared in his partial expansion. He was begotten by, Ra by Raja in the womb of his wife, Deva Sambuti, and his name was Ajita. By churning the ocean of milk, Ajita produced nectar from the demigods. In the form of a tortoise, he moved here and there, carrying on his back the great mountain known as Mandara. So here, here it goes again, right? Just like with the Gajendra Moksha, uh, Leela, that we heard. Now, Prakshit Maharaj said, wait, 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 this sounds really interesting. Tell me more, right? He says, King Prakshit said, like, oh, great Brahmana, Sukadeva Goswami, why and how did Lord Vishnu churn the ocean of milk? For what reason did he stay in the water as a tortoise and hold up Mandara Mountain? How did the demigods obtain the nectar? And what other things were produced from the churning of the ocean? Kindly describe all these wonderful activities of the Lord. So you you could imagine, right? He, you know, he, he's on the bank of the Ganges. He's hearing from Sukadeva Swami, and then all of a sudden, Sukadeva Swami says this. And you know, in modern parlance, he would say, like, you know, time out, hold on, pause. What? <laughs> what? You know, tell me more about this. The Lord takes the form of a tortoise. Yeah. Oh, um, so let's see. Buddha said, yeah, and, and yes, in the. Uh, in the biography of Prabhupada, it says that when the first time he saw snow, he was in New York City. And he thought someone has whitewashed <laughs> the town. That was the first time he saw snow. And I remember the first time my son saw snow. We were, because, um, you know, in, he, we lived in India. He was born and raised in India. And we were at the Grand Canyon and the North Rim. So the North Rim gets quite a bit of snow. And he said, what is that? So I stopped the car and we had a snowball fight. And he was... Uh, 
thoroughly pleased, but he was surprised at how cold the snow was. I said, of course it's cold, it's snow. <laughs> and uh, Kamal said, uh, yes, this may be, it's not awkward at all. I am going to ask anyway, how would you like to be called? I am not sure, is sir okay? Um, sir, just call me Brudge. That's, you know, we're all very, we're all kind of informal here, right? You know, in, in sometimes in a more formal setting in, amongst Vaishnavas, you would say like Braja Bihari Prabhu or Braja Bihari Das. But in this, in this um, setting, I like everyone to kind of get to know each other and feel um, at ease. So Braj is fine, right? Just I, so I don't know. I think kind of Sir Raj sounds kind of neat. Sir Raj, yes. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, you know, there's Sir Paul and I Paul McCartney because he's, you know, anyway. <laughs> just like Jennifer, we call Jenny, right? And, and yeah, so we just, uh, anyway, informal is totally fine here um, in this situation. But there is a, an etiquette that we often will add, um, you know, Prabhu or, or Prabhu to devotees last to their name to, uh, to show that we're, we're, we, we see them as we're servants of them. But that's... Um, but Raj is fine. Okay. Um, now listen to this. So he's he he's remember he's fasting. He must be. This is Canto Eight. So you know he must be on his third or fourth day, right, of a seventh day fast because the Bhagavatam ends in the twelfth canto. Although the tenth canto is the largest one, ninety chapters. Hear what he says. He says, "My heart." He tells Sukadev Goswami, who's about to narrate this, "My heart, which is disturbed." By the threefold, the three miseries of conditioned life, which is the uh, um, Adi Atmik, the uh, miseries caused by other living entities, means, you know, our, our frenemies, <laughs> our friends and enemies, right? You know, but also mosquitoes and <coughs> et cetera. Um, uh, natural occurrences, such as the snow that, um, that Nandimuki is experiencing and the cold that Dana is experiencing. And the miseries caused by our own mind and senses, which I think uh, I could say for myself, those are the ones that tend to hurt the most. So he, he's taking the humble position and saying that I'm disturbed by these. Yet, so even though he's saying that's happening, yet I'm not sated, I'm not satisfied without, with hearing you describe. In other words, I'm never, I, I want to hear more and more. Uh, describe the glorious activities of the Lord, the Supreme Personality of God, who was a master of the devotees and you all must be like that also because as they say um in, i'm from the south part of long island y'all are here week after week and wanting to hear about krishna so even from a, you know a guy like Braj, so you know of course we're hearing from Prabhupada, not from me but so you must be like Pritchett maharaj so sukadev goswami um, and so for those of us who are following, I'm trying to, you know, give a little context here. The first conversation is between Prichit Maharaj and, and Sukadeva Goswami. Then Sutta Goswami tells that story to the sages in Naimasharanya. Okay, so it's a story within a story. So Sukadeva Goswami, who's relating the discussion that Sukadeva Goswami had with Prichit, he says, oh, learned Brahman is assembled here in Naimasharanya. It's, a, it's an actual place in um, Uttar Pradesh. When Sukadev Goswami, the son of Dwaipayana, was thus questioned by the king, he congratulated the king. 
and then endeavored to describe further the glories of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And I can say that from you know, my little experience, when, when one of you asks a, a really good question, it's like, oh, that's fantastic. It helps me, you know, gives me encouragement to talk about Krishna. Right, so it's, uh, and by the way, you see, if you see that picture of, on Jennifer's screen, that cow or a bull's name is Bhima. She told me that recently. So there you go, in Wisconsin. Okay, so now we're getting into the verses that we said we would study. So this is the first one. Sukadeva Goswami said, when the Asuras, which is another name for non-devotees, demons, with their serpent weapons, severely attacked the demigods in a fight. Many of the demigods fell and lost their lives. Indeed, they could not be revived. At that time, O king, the demigods had been cursed by Durvasamuni. Uh, the demigods had been cursed by Durvasamuni. The three worlds were poverty-stricken, and therefore ritualistic ceremonies could not be performed. The effects of this were very serious. And Prabhupada writes in the purport. So first of all, we're going to hear about how uh, the curse came about, how Indra got cursed. It is described that while Durvasa Muni was passing on the road, he saw Indra on the back of, the of his elephant, and he was pleased to offer Indra a garland from his own neck. So, you know, Durvasa is a great Muni, a great Brahmana. He's, he's giving him. Indra, however, being too puffed up, too proud, took the garland and without respect for Durvasa Muni, he placed it on the trunk of his carrier elephant. The elephant being an animal could not understand the value of the garland. And thus the elephant threw the garland between its legs and smashed it. Seeing this insulting behavior, Durvasa Muni immediately cursed Indra to be poverty stricken, bereft of all material opulence. Thus the demigods afflicted on one side by the fighting demons and on the other side by the curse of Durvasa Muni lost all material opulences in the three worlds. Um, so we, 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 like Indra, have to be careful about acting impulsively, right? Uh, without, you know, thoughtlessly. It's said that, that there should, you know, we should have a pause between the stimulus and the response, right? When someone either delivers us news that puts us in anxiety or, you know, the classic one is someone takes our parking spot yeah, when we're just about to pull in at a, at a grocery store or something like that. You know, and we, we, we so the, that's kind of what the Bhagavad Gita is there. The Bhagavad Gita is supposed to be that kind of reference point that, that we refer to when we pause between the stimulus and the response. All right, and think, you know, we, uh, on, a very, on a very devotional level, what would, how would Krishna want me to to um, react in this situation? Or what would be the appropriate reaction? Or, you know, things, things, uh, questions like that. And I see your hand, Kamal, I'll just finish one or two points and uh, we'll get to you, no problem. Um, so that's, you know, and, and we, we, and therefore it's really helpful to, um, you know, what was it said? Know thyself, to know our nature and to know what pushes our hot button. We all have hot, I mean, unless we're all like, you know, amazingly transcendental people, we all have some hot buttons. Uh, and it may be different for each of us. So what pushes our hot button? What, 
what makes us react? It lets, in the words of the Bhagavad Gita, in the in rajas or tamas, in passion or in ignorance. What gets? What do they say? Gets under our goad? Is it? Is that how the saying goes? Is that the right thing, Andy? Your local English professor. No, I was just thinking gets under our skin. You know, oh, under our skin. Okay. Yeah. Well, but then, but that could be positive, right? I got that you. can be. I know that's what I thought right after that. So I don't know. Is <laughs> that, that old right. song, right? It's something that gets under something. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. But Dean is also a real scholar. He usually knows these things. <laughs> All right. Nothing's coming to mind. Right? All right. <laughs> Somebody Google it. Um, so, so, so it's, it's helpful to catch ourselves. So in order to catch ourselves, we have to have some self-realization. And then in order to know how to react properly, we have to have some God realization. <laughs> right. But reactions are so important how we react to things you know there's that saying which which is like easier said than done it's not what happens to us it's how you react to what happens to us that counts and and as hard as that is to fathom sometimes oh uh, god gets under your skin that's what buddha said okay um so that's that's one lesson we can learn from indra that you know he he was he just thought ah oh, this garland who cares about the rasamuni but if somebody was really fixed in samadarshina in treating everyone equally and being respectful to all living entities, they wouldn't just, they would say, oh, thank you so much for that garland. They wouldn't just, you know, what to speak of, you know, an important person like Dravasa Muni. Yeah. Okay, so before we go on to the second part of that purport, uh, oops. Kamal, you had your hand up, you took it down? Yeah, yes, I had my hand up. So I had a question on it. Uh, you know, forgive me if it is a wrong question is, uh, you know, when, when Indra disrespect to Durva Shamuni, and we understand that uh, all those characters that we are talking about, Durvasha and Indra and many other, Arjuna, we you know, portray themselves as a god, I mean, part of God, right? And uh, how could, you know, one god, uh, you know, can be disrespect to another? You know, and, and what what made them God? And you know, if you can help understand it, that would be very nice. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Well, they're not. Yeah, Indra's not God. He's a demigod. Um, and there's different Indras. It's just like, like for example, where I work, I work in the Department of the Interior for the federal government. So there's different secretaries of the Department of the Interior appointed by each president, and sometimes there's even two in one presidency if one gets another job or something. So it's a post. So Indra is a post that is uh, different souls, uh, different human, different being, uh, human, different living entities take. But it's not. He's not God. Uh, Krishna and he, there's Vishnu Tattva and Jiva Tattva. Vishnu Tattva means this person, you know, Krishna and his incarnations. And there's many different incarnations. Just like if you take um, the original candle and you light other candles those other candles have the potency <clears throat> of the original candle. But Durvasa also is a living entity like you and me, a very exalted one, uh, <clears throat> but not on the same level as uh, the personality of Godhead Krishna. But, you're, but, but your point is still well taken that these are very exalted people. And sometimes they're put in these situations and, and these stories happen because there's lessons for us to learn, like the lesson that we can learn from, from Indra that to not, um, to be careful about how we react to a stimulus. And similarly for Devasamuni, he didn't, uh, you know, 
he he got angry also and cursed them. And so he also the stimulus was seeing the Garland being disrespected. But all of that, of course, leads to the pastime that we're going to hear. Okay. So let's Very continue. Nice. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. No problem. Let's continue with this um, report. <clears throat> to be extremely opulent in materialistic advancement is sometimes very risky. The materially opulent person does not care about anyone, and thus he commits offenses to great personalities, even personalities like devotees and great saints. This is the way of material opulence, as described by Sukadeva Goswami, Danam Durmad Danda. Too much wealth makes one blind. This happens even to Indra in his heavenly kingdom, and what to speak of others in this material world. When one is material opulent, when one is materially opulent, he should learn to be sober and well-behaved towards Vaishnavas and saintly persons. Otherwise, he will fall down. So, um, so this is, you know, Maya or the illusory energy has different ways. And one of them is by giving us a lot of opulence. Um, I think uh, just recently, one of the biggest, I looked this up, uh, for this class. One of the biggest um, lottery winners was just on January 22nd, $1.05 billion, right? And I, and, I, and I think, you know, anyone can research this, but there, there's a lot of, lots and lots of data and stories about how people who win the lottery end up either broke or, or dead or, you know, not knowing who their friends are and, you know, wish it hadn't happened. So imagine if you tomorrow got $1.1 billion. Um, and, you know, immediately we're all thinking, well, of course I would give so much of it to Krishna and we would do this and we'd do that to, for the welfare of other people. And we do so many good things. And, and I'm sure we all would. Um, but it would be a test. It would be a kind of spiritual test because it can be kind of, intoxicating right can i make a comment uh, yeah yeah i i think this is true about so many things that um it's not just wealth you know I, i've seen people that are extremely beautiful physically and and that becomes you know the the, the focus of who they are and then you know, they kind of, it, they're not as motivated to develop some of the other things. And you really see like later on in life, there's people in my family specifically I can think of where, you know, all of a sudden that's, that's lost or it's just not as full as, you know, people, the, the vast majority of us are just average looking Joes, you know, uh, <laughs> Speak for yourself, buddy. No. We we don't we don't have this uh, uh, this sort of shallow thing to latch on. Potentially shallow thing. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with it, but uh, it's not always the boon that we may think it is. And right. Um, especially we, women, you know, if they really they get they can get a lot of the wrong type of attention, and if they're not wise enough to identify that, you know, I think it can become a, a hindrance rather than a yes, yeah. Uh, maybe Shakshi or Nandimuki or Grudas or someone could find that verse in the, uh, I think it's the eighth chapter of the first canto. 
Then my Shreya Shruti Shribir, Edamana, I forget the rest of the Sanskrit, but if someone could find it. But basically uh, what you just said is right out of the Bhagavatam, Dean. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's, yeah, there's different intoxications. One could be intoxicated by, um, I, I was, I was in, it was, believe me, this wasn't because of me, and I hope I don't sound proud, but I was giving a talk at uh, Harvard, at um, the law school there. And I was with uh, a, a good friend of mine, Henry knows her very well, Mary Rowe. She's um, a professor at MIT, actually. And we were walking around Cambridge, Massachusetts, right? And I was saying, you know, it seems like they built this town. So Cambridge has both MIT and Harvard, right? <laughs> there. And it seems like they, this, I, I said, when I walk around this town, I feel intimidated. I just feel that I'm just not smart enough for this town. You know, you know, you just get just everything about it has that, that vibe. And she's lived there for like 60 years. And she, Oh yeah. She said, that is purposeful. You know, And, and, and I, I remember I was, I've given a lot of public talks, but when I was speaking in Harvard, I was sweating it just because, yeah, the, the, you know, high education is another, is another kind of thing that can be intoxicating, right? Uh, high, educa high education, like you're saying, wealth, beauty. Uh, also one, you know, what's really interesting, one can be very proud of their renunciation, you know? Uh, what else can they be proud of? Um, their their intelli well, intelligence, yeah, education, intelligence. Because uh, let's think of the six opulences Krishna has. Renunciation, beauty, uh, wealth, he owns everything. What are the other ones? There's six altogether. Um, um, isn't fame one of them? Fame, yeah, fame, right? So there you go. I mean, fame yeah. could, is, can be very intoxicating, right? You know, you... you uh, you walk around everywhere. I have a, a friend who's, um, she is um, a, a mediator in India for the World Bank, but her husband is a well-known actor. And actors in India are, are, um, are really worshiped, right? For those, I mean, they are really, you know, maybe even more than Bollywood, even more than Hollywood. And she was just saying, it's so hard to go out anywhere with this guy. <laughs> You know. Oh, thank you. Mon, Mon came up with it. Thank you so much. Here we go in the, in the chat. Your lordship can be easily approached, but only by those who are materially exhausted. One who is on the path of material progress, trying to improve themselves with, res oh, there's another one, res respectful parentage, uh, great opulence, high education and bodily beauty cannot approach you with sincere feeling. Now that's, you know, contextual, because we do know, I do know some, even in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, there's Pindarik Vidyanidhi, a great, great devotee, who's very, very wealthy uh, and, and misunderstood. Maharaj Prataparudra, uh, there, there, there's so many. But, it, but what Queen Kunti is saying here is, all, is true in many, 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 many times. Um, and so there, you know, is it, is, it, is it a blessing or is it a curse to be very, very material opulent? Well, you know, it has a little mixture. Um, I think I told you this story of a friend of mine. Um, she comes from a very, very well-known family. And so when she was 
uh, first dating her now present husband, she used a different last name. <laughs> just so, uh, just so, you know, yeah, just so she wanted to make sure that he was dating her for the right reasons. Okay, and here we go. Shakti Gobal, strength. Oh, strength is another one, right? If you're, if you're super strong. Um, I was just, you know, when the radio, when the, I mean, it's interesting, America is like that. When the radio first came out, one of the first things that popularized, popularized the radio in the 1920s was Jack Dempsey in boxing. And they say that more people were listening to that than anything else in the history of America. Right. So, you know, so strength, fame, wealth, knowledge, beauty, and renunciation. Well, looking at those, I don't have to worry too much. <laughs> but the point is that, uh, that it, can, it can be, you know, we can forget. We can, anything that, that gets us thinking that we're our body and gets us thinking more in terms of the temporary things of this world rather than the fact that we're eternal and we have a, 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 a spiritual relationship and that really the one of the keys to making spiritual progress is humility um, then we can see how these things can be so intoxicating any uh further questions comments thoughts on this okay and and and, and as it says in the end and we especially don't want to ever direct our uh our entire you know being proud and all those things towards someone who's dear to god who's dear to krishna right because then then it has even a more deleterious effect okay then let's move on to 17 and 18. lord indra varuna and the other demigods seeing their lives in such a state consulted amongst themselves but they could not find any solution then all the demigods assembled and went together to the peak of Sumer Mountain. There in the assembly of Lord Brahma, they fell down to offer Lord Brahma their obeisances. And then they informed him of all the incidents that had taken place. So this also connects a little bit with Tukamal's uh, question a little while ago. So demigods are not always pure devotees. They can be, but they're not always. But they are, they are pious. And so... What, look what they're doing. They're not just saying, okay, we're going to, you know, get into a smoke-filled room and figure this out, you know, stay up all night. They approach Krishna. They approach, or they approach, well, in this case, Lord Brahma first, and ultimately he approaches Vishnu, right? But they, they, they seek blessings, they seek shelter. And that's a lesson for us that when um, things start getting out of hand, what do we do? Do we what do we take shelter of? Where is our shelter? Where is our rest? Where is our refuge? Like that's a good question to ask ourselves. Next verse, 19 and 20. Upon seeing that the demigods were bereft of all opulence and strength, and that the three worlds were consequently devoid of auspiciousness, and upon seeing that the demigods were in an awkward position, whereas all the demons were flourishing, Lord Brahma, who was above all the demigods and who was most powerful, concentrated his mind on the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Thus being encouraged, he became bright-faced and spoke to the demigods as follows. So there's a little hint there. So he's taking shelter of Krishna and he's becoming bright-faced. And if we do that, that is what happens. <laughs> that is what happens. Uh, 
Prabhupada has this beautiful little saying, and he says, the face is the index of the mind. Right? And usually, right, have you ever, you know, you have a good friend, and you can see on their face often, you know, body language communicates 55% of, or 58, whatever, over 50% of our emotions, right? Um, and so we can, especially someone that we know a little bit, we can tell something's going on. My wife has like a total sixth sense about me. You know, she's okay, what is it? She, and I, I, I didn't say anything. I can tell, I'm just looking at you, I can tell, right? you know, after 31 years of marriage. Um, so, so yes, the face is the index of the mind and, and body language communicates so much. Um, <clears throat> what, there's another saying, well, this is a little different, but it's similar. What you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying, right? So, um, so here, and, and when we connect, when we actually feel shelter of someone who can actually give shelter, there's a certain relief. That doesn't mean the circumstances change overnight, but like we said before, but how we react. And that's often what Krishna is looking for in us. Not necessarily that circumstances are dictated ultimately by Krishna and a lot by our karma, but our free choice, our free will is very much in our reaction. And, you know, do we just try to like, you know, do the ostrich program and just, you know, turn on Netflix and zone out and hope that, that the anxiety kind of gets lessened because we're not thinking about that, that anxiety causing uh, thing, whatever it is, or do we actually become more thoughtful, uh, introspective and prayerful? These are choices that we have. It's a, you know, it's free will. Any any questions or comments on that point? Yes, Nandimuki. I'm just thinking that we need to pay attention to what we think about every day. Yes, we need to. That's a very good one. And and that is an act of self-realization, isn't it, Nandimuki? Because then the question is, who is looking at the mind, <laughs> right? Who is the I that is looking at what we think? Because often we pretty much think the mind and us are one. But when we start becoming an observer of the mind, then we are, um, that is a kind of self-realization. Isn't it, Nanimuki? Yes. Yeah. Any further thoughts on that? Yeah. And like, for example, be happy or be satisfied is a practice. It's a practice that you that we concentrate on positive thoughts. Hmm. Yes. It's a practice, right? It's a or in Sanskrit, it's a sadhana. Sadhana means practice, right? Yes, that's even better. Yeah, it's a practice. Very good. And and um, I think I may have mentioned this last week. Uh, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur said that the mind is a perverted reflection of the spiritual world. Did I mention that last week, Andy? No? For, for I don't remember. Time? Yeah. Okay, isn't that it? But think about, you know, what, what they used to put that in your pipe and smoke it. Don't, don't do that. But uh, think about that, right? That uh, 
the mind is a perverted reflection of the spiritual world. Because in the spiritual world, Krishna is the center of everything. Right? And the mind pervertedly reflects that by that we think we're the center of everything and that my opinion really counts more than other people's opinions and the way, and my worldview is, is the most important worldview and, and my political part, you know, you go down to all kinds of things in life. Right. <clears throat> and, and so the mind is um, so, so much of the yoga practice and so much of the bhakti practice relates to the mind. Because it, uh, as Nandimukhi is saying, it'll, it'll, you know, like a pinball, it'll go all over the place. And a, an aspiring transcendentalist wants to become, as Nandimukhi said, an observer of the mind and detached from the mind and, and being selective. Oh, you're thinking about Krishna? Great, go for it. Oh, you're thinking about, you know, whatever? Oh, no. You know, so accepting and rejecting uh, the mind's thoughts based on what is unequal or favorable to my development of bhakti. So those are in, in bhakti, the first two aspects of surrender are anukul yasya sankalpa, pratikul yasya varjanam, to accept those things that are favorable to developing divine love bhakti and to reject those things that's unfavorable. So thank you so much for that, Nani Mookie. That was great. Uh, yes, Kamal, you have your hand up. So uh, when you talk about this free will... You know, you just I... hold on one second. Someone's knocking on the door. Just one second. Sure. Yes. Uh, no, thanks. Oh, I should be leaving by about 2 o'clock. Sorry about that. I'm back. Yes, free will. So when you talk about free will, you know, in my understanding... Our, our path is kind of settled already. You know, we are kind of acting through it. So, you know, if you can help me a little bit understand on it, you know, that'll be very nice. Yes. Well, the, I think I, I can't remember if, um, you know, sometimes I give a lot of classes. I can't remember where I say everything. But think of it this way, that uh, um, height is our karma and weight is our free will. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. Definitely does. Or another way to say it is that let's say you're uh, getting on an airplane from um, uh, Detroit to uh, Dulles Airport, right? a, a flight that you may have taken sometimes or Reagan. Um, once you're on the plane and it takes off, it's destined to go to, uh, to DC. I mean, you know, barring any catastrophe, right? So it's destined that that's, that's your karma. But in the airplane, you can talk to the person next to you. You can, you can have lunch. You can sleep. You can watch the movie. You have a lot of choices, even though the plane is definitely going to D.C. So we have there's a combination of destiny based on our karma and free will based on our free will. Okay? Very nice. Very nice example. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Any other uh, thoughts or questions? Andy, we haven't heard from you all day. I'm feeling like yeah. of your intellectual prowess. I was thinking about this today, though. We had the coronavirus and all these other problems, right? But if you really believe in God, 
God is the only one that can really do anything. All this is temporary, right? The only one that can really, really do anything is God, right? So if you're going to fear anything, you could should fear God because he can really do something that's permanent, <laughs> right? And everybody else can just uh, hinder you, you know? Uh, well, yes, it, looking at it through that lens, very, very yeah. good. Yeah. And, and the neat thing is that we don't really, the wonderful thing, one thing that I really liked about Krishna consciousness um, was we don't have to fear Krishna so much. We have to, you know, he, you know, he's the, he, we have to love him, but we do want to just as we would just like, so one time when I was a kid, I went to a uh, summer camp and in Massachusetts, I think it was, um, and I have no idea what got into this seven or eight year old kid, right? But I just, I try to steal a pack of Kool-Aid from, from a store. You know, one of these little packs, right? Like cost, I don't know, five cents, 10 cents. And I, I guess I wasn't a very good thief, but I immediately got caught. <laughs> uh, and my biggest fear in the entire world, I was, you know, is that if someone's gonna tell my mother, you know, I don't care what they were going to do to me at camp if, you know, I, you know, I couldn't play baseball for a week or something. But my, my mother found out, oh, I was just so distraught. And they, we, they agreed not to tell her. Uh, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but so there was fear, definitely, like total fear. But it also was, it was knowing fear because I know she loved me. And would, you know, do something out of love, though, not out of just like, you know, spite or something. But I did have an incredible amount of uh, concern for letting her down, even at that age. Like that. So I don't think I've ever told anyone that story, but somehow it just came in my mind just now. <laughs> Henry hasn't heard it before. <laughs> yeah. So, but thank you for that. Yeah. So that is so. Um, that is, you know, seeing with the eyes of eternity, that we are eternal. And then what's tricky, um, um, Andy, and I know you're not guilty of this, but we were talking in our uh, Wisdom of the Sages talk about this, is sometimes that information, if we just, if we're only that part, it can sometimes lead to what we call spiritual bypassing, where, you know, therefore only God, only, you know, everything else. So I can be mean to other people. I can, you know, uh, I can neglect other people's, you know, kindness and all those things because, you know, who cares? It's just me and God. Right. So there's, so there's that, but then there's also seeing that Krishna is in the hearts of everyone and therefore treating everyone with respect, even, and, and even though this is a temporary interaction that I'm having with this person, right. I, uh, out of love, I want to do it in a way that is pleasing to Krishna. That makes sense? <laughs> Somebody texted me saying that they're going to watch me more carefully now. <laughs> um, so Gurdas writes in the, in the chat, um, this nice discussion gets to the heart of why some poor fund of knowledge critics accuse devotees of escapism. You insist on being happy and peaceful, Within even, within, even when so many problems are on the horizon. These people don't have the knowledge of the good fortune of turning to the Lord within, yes. Uh, and that, but um, 
there, we could be called escapism, but there's two kinds of ways of practicing bhakti. One is called bhajananandi and one is called goshtyanandi. And the bhajananandis focus exclusively on their own spiritual progress and they go to a holy place or the Himalayas and just practice their, their sadhana, their practice of Krishna conscious there. Whereas Gosyanandis, they can't be accused of escapism because their whole thing is to help out, is to be in the world, be of the world and uh, help people in the world. And that was definitely Prabhupada's uh, emphasis. So, so what, but what Gurudas is saying, what Andy's saying, I, I, I think in my own life is I'm really trying to find that balance right, between my inner spiritual life and my understanding that things of this world are temporary and not getting too caught up in, you know, Netflix and this and that. And at the same time, knowing what's going on in the world, being relevant and being in the world to help the world. Now, you know, the saying is being in the world but not of the world, right, you know. But it, it is a uh, interesting balance. And I find that it's it's easy to tip that balance in these days where one can just get absorbed in this world, you know, where where unlike when I grew up at my fingertips, you know, right literally at my fingertips right now, I probably have on this computer access to, I don't know, what do we all have access to? A thousand movies, ten thousand movies, right? How many different news outlets do we have access to? A thousand, two thousand, three, you know, think of every city has a number of newspapers. And you can go on that newspaper's website right now. Uh, you have access to so many distractions. So we do have to, I think we do have to be conscious of, or if we, as spiritualists, we want to be cautious about how much we're um, of the world or in the world or whatever. You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> but great point, Andy. Thank you for that. Other thoughts? I will say, like, one, one thing that uh, is confusing to me is, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of parts that we, even we've read where it discusses um, kind of even doing good in the world involves a certain degree of attachment, right? right. Like, ultimately, you're kind of doing it for some sort of, uh, and, and I totally agree with this, uh, like, sort of, there even in that at a very deep level there's a sort of selfish motive there of of kind of um there's an e there's an element of ego to it let's yeah. put it that way and um yet there are so there, there are parts that we read that say you know don't even do that but then there's the whole you know story of uh krishna telling arjuna to do his role, you know, take his part of, you know, do his job basically. Right. And I understand like he also tells him to do it in a detached manner, but the idea that, you know, well, you kind of just, I guess, I, I guess maybe part of it too is, is like some of these stories are directed towards people who've taken sannyas and others. Uh, but it, anyway, it, it's still tough. You know, no, no, it's a great, it's a great point, Dean. Um, yeah. So there is, uh, and if I can interrupt you, I, th I think that the way that I've like 
uh, dealt with it in my mind is like, well, if you have to think about that, then you're probably not ready for Sanya. So try to do in the world as much as you can, uh, you know, yeah. and while being as detached as much as possible, which. Well, you're definitely not ready I, for Sanyas, Dean. Your daughter's four years old, three years old. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> if you told me you were going to take Sanyas, I'd fly out to California and get on your case personally. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I didn't know. No, but I'm, I'm just joking with yeah. you. But I know, uh, but it's, I, I I know for personal reasons anyway, I'm, I'm nowhere near that. Just too, too engaged with certain things, you know, um, I have this, yeah, I won't get into the details. No, 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 this is a great, this is a great point. Let's spend a few minutes on it. If you listen to Wisdom of the Sages uh, a few weeks ago, they were talking about these words, pravritti and nivritti. These, um, the pravritti is the path of enjoying this world. And the nivritti is the path of renouncing this world. And then above both is the path of bhakti. Okay. So, it's true, you know, in, in marketing, they talk about, um, what do they call it? USP, unique selling point, right? You ever heard that? You know, you know they, they, they ask a company, what's your unique selling point, you know? So in bhakti, our unique selling point, you could say, is giving people bhakti, not that, not that uh, the Krishna conscious tradition is the only spiritual tradition that has bhakti in it. That's not the point. But um, so our, but our, you know, as our main way of helping people is giving them knowledge and a lifestyle that leads to bhakti. So it's not a big, you know, that's the unique thing. There's so many wonderful charities in the world that, you know, that will feed people. And of course we do, we, I think I forget how many is it over a billion plates of prasadam have been distributed since 1966 it's huge amounts so we do do that but even then when we do food distribution it's not regular food it's vegetarian food first of all and then it's offered to Krishna it's prasad so it nourishes someone spiritually as well as physically um and and so yes so the helping of others is uh not exclusively, but to a large extent in a spiritual context for, for many of the same reasons that Andy was bringing up that, you know, this life is temporary. And so giving someone some spiritual advancement, which is never lost and is to their eternal benefit is, is the focus of uh, those in the bhakti school. Um, and Krishna says that in the 40th, verse of the second chapter that um, in this endeavor, there is no loss or diminution and even a little advancement on, this, on the bhakti path can save one from the most dangerous type of fear. So that is, uh, that is the uh, main focus. And therefore, sometimes even like a pious welfare activity well it shouldn't be shunned upon it shouldn't be um made fun of or anything like that but it wouldn't be the focus of someone practicing bhakti because they want to take it a step a step higher now at the same time Prabhupada would said one time when he uh, he saw i think it was in thailand 
and he saw some children going through garbage looking for some food and he you know practically tears came to his eyes and he he said that he said that at least in wherever our temples are no one should go hungry for within a 10 mile radius in other words he knew he couldn't save the whole world from hunger but at least wherever our temples is no one should go you know hungry uh like that and then he would say that if you're if, if you don't have anything to eat, how can you focus on God? You know, you're just trying to get enough to eat, right? Just as we were saying earlier, sometimes when you have too much opulence, it's hard to focus on God, right? Even the Bible says that, right? You know, harder to, what is it, thread a camel through the eye of a needle, right? Um, so is that, is this making any sense, uh, Dean? Uh, yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. So let us carry on. Um, oh, yeah, so we talked about the bright face. So 21, Lord Brahma said, I, Lord Shiva, all of you demigods, the demons, the living entities born of perspiration, the living entities born of eggs, the trees and plants sprouted from the earth, and the living entities born from embryos. That pretty much covers all the living entities, right? All come from the Supreme Lord, from his incarnation of Rajaguna. Uh, Lord Brahma, the Guna Avatar, and from the great sages, Rishis, who are part of me. Let us therefore go to the Supreme Lord and take shelter of his lotus feet. So he's the cause of all causes. Let's take our problem to him. Text 22. For the Supreme Personality of God, there is no one to be killed, no one to be protected, no one to be neglected, and no one to be worshipped. Nonetheless, for the sake of creation, maintenance, and annihilation, according to time, he accepts different forms as incarnations, either in the mode of goodness, the mode of passion, or the mode of ignorance. I'm going to keep going, although we could definitely comment on that to 23. Now is the time to invoke the mode of goodness of the living entities who have accepted material bodies. The mode of goodness is meant to establish the Supreme Lord's rule, which will maintain the existence of the creation. Therefore, this is the opportune moment to take shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead because he is the naturally very kind and dear to the demigods. He will certainly bestow good fortune upon us. Okay, where should we start? Let me just look at. Um, so, it talks here about the modes of material nature. Um, what. Maybe someone, what, how do you know when you're being affected by one of the modes? How do you know when you're being affected by goodness? If someone might go off of mute and say that, or passion or ignorance, what gives you that indication that you are being under their influence? Has anyone ever taken time to, you know, like Nandi Muki was saying, you look at your mind, so to take a step back and think, you know, right now, I think I'm being influenced by such and such mode. Is anyone? Yes, Prabhuji. Anandrupa here. Yes, Anandrupa. So Prabhuji, I think, and this is just my realization, um, <clears throat> when I'm not thinking of Krishna or not engaged in any seva, I feel I'm under the moods of nature. Yeah, and, depending on, uh, and depending on what kind of uh, experience I'm having, uh, you know, I can identify to some degree whether it's inferior modes, you know, uh, it's uh, the hopes are temporary, <clears throat> basically in all the three modes, but uh, depend, right, going from some happy moments, temporary happy moments to uh, going through very strongly passionate about doing something to 
uh, you know, going through some grief, trauma. I mean, basically going through any of the modes we can identify uh, based on the knowledge we have received, right? In Bhagavad Gita. Okay. All right, good. Thank you. For my wife, you know, she, what she does when she's anxious or something, she starts cleaning. And cleaning is very much in the mode of goodness, right? Uh, and she finds that that's very therapeutic. Others have any experiences that you'd like to share? For me, like it's already after the fact, Prabhuji. That, okay. uh, better than nothing. It, yeah. So, uh, because if you are conscious enough, you will not go into mood of ignorance, right? Um, that's my thought. Uh huh. Okay. After the fact, you start. Okay. Anyway, it, something. Go ahead, Gurudas. Hare Krishna. Sorry, interrupt. <clears throat> this is an interesting topic because. Um, as, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking about, I mean, uh, sometimes when I start to read Shastra, when I start to read uh, a book by Srila Prabhupada or a book by my spiritual master, I feel suddenly tired. Right. Why is that? Where is that coming from? But then it gets to the point where I, can't concentrate and I that's when I know I'm in the mode of ignorance because this is a book in my hand that should be enlivening me and that's I turn to it for spiritual inspiration and here I can't get past one verse in purport when you know my eyes start to droop it's embarrassing that's that's a great great example because it, it also shows that we were very much kind of running on adrenaline in the mode of passion before. And when we tried to slow down a little bit to do something that, you know, isn't running around and then, then, you know, ignorance kind of takes hold. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's a really good, good example. I've, I, and I give that example sometimes you ever read a page of something, whether it's Bhagavad Gita or something else. And after a page or two, you don't remember anything you read. And that's, I find that's often the mode of passion because the mind is going ding, ding, ding all over. And then falling asleep when you're trying to read, that would definitely be, <laughs> yeah, uh, more in the mode of ignorance. And the mode of goodness, I don't, you know, I don't experience it too often, but when I do, it's really nice. It's, uh, it's very clear thinking and, 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 um, and kind hearted and, and slowing down a bit and, you know, kind of what they say, you know, taking time to smell the roses kind of thing. Um, well, or, or uh, I think for me, it's um, when, when you're taking part in, it's a non-spiritual discussion, it's you know, not with devotees, but you're taking part in, in some kind of intellectual discussion and you're able to contribute something to the mm. discussion. Um, but, but, you know, at the same time, you know, this has, you know, it's it's not a spiritual discussion. It's just right. getting your brain to function nicely. But you're thinking clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Kamal. Yes, Guruji. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I had one comment on it. Is so please stay on to uh, you know I can explain that what is happening. Is uh, in my understanding, uh, you know, if I read some. Uh, books or if I hear some lecture uh, that excite me, in my understanding is uh, this is our own creation in our mind. 
you know, some kind of chemical going in uh, into my mind or into my head that is creating this, uh, you know, situation. Also, same thing happen if we, if I feel anything bad or if I feel anything and exhausted. It's, it's everything happening inside our body. So, you know, in my understanding, once we, once I go to any spiritual places, that says, uh, you know, it's gone to the DC, and once I'm chanting, uh, I feel blessed. You know, I feel so, you know so happy and, and you know probably uh, probably within a few hours it goes away you know so it helped me understand is so chanting all those names is, is it the way that we are training ourselves we are training ourselves to be you know in that happy in a moment well it, does it make sense what i said yeah yes yes it's above yeah it's spiritual satisfaction which is and we could get into a whole thing about the difference between satisfaction and, and happiness and what is happiness. And because in the Bhagavad Gita, actually, Krishna says there's happiness, there's different levels of happiness. There's happiness in the mode of ignorance, there's happiness in the mode of passion, there's happiness in the mode of goodness. And then what you're experiencing when you're chanting is happiness above the modes of nature, uh, happiness in connecting with Krishna, because Krishna and his name are non-different. <clears throat> so so even then, it's good to be. Uh, here's another kind of again talking about Nandimukhi's point about uh, watching the mind. Is what kind of happiness am I seeking? My, you know, happiness. Um, it's often said that you know getting intoxicated is often happening, especially with uh, alcohol or with uh, certain kinds of drugs that are more downers. That it's more in the mode of ignorance is happiness. Uh, in the mode of passion is you know the consumer uh, mindset and me, 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 happiness in the mode of goodness is, is about help, helping others and the satisfaction that one feels when, when, they, when, when we feel that we're helping others, even if it is mixed, like uh, Dean was saying earlier with some ego and then happiness in spiritual, spirituality is happiness um, when we're giving pleasure to the Supreme Lord and feeling the reciprocation. So happiness can happen on, on a number of different levels. And that's another, that's another way, I guess, Nandamuki, that since we are pleasure seeking by nature, it, that may be another interesting analysis of the mind is which kind of happiness is my mind seeking right now? <laughs> we just delineated four of them, right? And there can be some combination there. But um, that's another way to look at it. Yeah, very interesting. Let's look at this purport. We're getting towards the end of our time. From this verse, we can understand, this is the second paragraph, the situation in Kali Yuga, through which I think we all know Kali Yuga, the, the, where we live right now, the, quarrel, the time of quarrel and hypocrisy, which we are now passing. Just before the beginning of Kali Yuga, or in other words, at the end of Dwarpara Yuga, Lord Sri Krishna appeared and left his instructions in the form of Bhagavad Gita, in which he asked all living entities to surrender unto him. Since the beginning of Kali Yuga, however, people have practically been unable to surrender to the lotus feet of Lord of Krishna. And therefore, after some 5,000 years, Krishna came again as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, just to teach the entire world how to surrender unto him, unto Sri Krishna, and thus be purified. Then a little, I'm just quoting one sentence, Prabhupada writes that Kali Yuga is full of contamination. 
Then he quotes a famous verse from the 12th canto of the Bhagavatam and, and says that the, this age of Kali is full of unlimited faults. Indeed, it is just like an ocean of faults. So <laughs> imagine the ocean, right? Like that picture behind Dean, that's the bay, the San Francisco Bay, right? That spills out into the Pacific Ocean. So I, I was dealing with a case at work last week, maybe I mentioned this from Midway. Midway, it was a very important place in um, the Battle of Midway was an important part of World War II. Um, uh, there's only 50 people who live on the whole island. <laughs> And there were some conflicts there, so I was dealing with that. And Midway is about 1,200 miles from Honolulu and about 1,000 miles from Japan, about 1,000 miles. It's, so my point is, Pacific Ocean is huge. It's huge, right? So imagine when the Bhagavatam says something is an ocean of faults. <laughs> how big the ocean is. So how many faults are there? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we could we could go, we could spend the next, you know, five hours, right, talking about them. But let's just let's just spend two minutes on one ocean of fault, and that is, uh, and how rapidly Kali Yuga is progressing. Let's the fast food industry. I just take that one thing. So, you know, it started um, in the nineteen twenties where this guy was making like. Um, Meatball, I'm sorry for using these words, by the way, you know, but anyway, meatballs and, and, and it was taking too long to cook. So he smashed the meatball and it made it flat. And he said, and he called it a hamburger. And this was the guy who started White Castle, you know, and there, you know, and there's thousands of White Castle company. And then McDonald's comes along and, and, and you know, they're, and, and anyway, and it's just incredible how much it's ruining, you know, the Amazon forest and, and what to speak of how many cows are killed and what to speak of, you know, 800 calories in one burger with, you know, I mean, just everything about the fast food industry is bad, right? You know, from health to the karma to the, yeah, everything, everything. And that's just one aspect of, of Kali Yuga. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just one, one little aspect of Kali Yuga. Has anyone here ever been to Katy, Texas, K-A-T-Y? It has the highest concentration of fast food, um, so-called restaurants in America. And the number one state for fast food restaurants is Alabama. Um, yeah, and then and the lowest, by the way, is Maine. Just give you a little information that you don't really need. <laughs> Things that I had looked up recently. So that's just, but that's just one aspect uh, of Kali Yuga. Um, and 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 there's something you know, we could get into uh, other aspects as well. Um, so it's like an ocean of faults. And then he says. But there is one chance, one opportunity. Kirtanad eva krishnasya mukta sangha parambraja. Simply by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, one can be freed from the contamination of Kali Yuga and in his original spiritual body can return home back to Godhead. That is the opportunity of Kali Yuga. So 
um, chanting and, and every every um, bona fide spiritual practice has this singing or chanting uh, of God's name uh, attached to it. And and if you know, and if Kali Yuga is an ocean of faults, and if something like you know fast foods is just one part of that ocean, uh, imagine just how fortunate one could be freed from that contamination and at the end of this life return to the spiritual world that's the opportunity of kali yuga hmm. uh, and chanting is especially mentioned a little later in the purport especially potent in the age of kali uh, any points about i mean yeah ocean and, and like i said it's 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 very very um rapid uh you know i just again i was just um looking into a little bit just the progress of uh of um technology right you know the, henry ford's you know creating the idea of a uh, of the you know the conveyor belt kind of you know um way of putting things together and that was also the 19 no it was a little before the 1920s beginning and, and uh the radio and then from the radio the television and from the television the internet to smartphones and uh, you know it, things have become more and more frenzied in the world and so spiritualists like all of us and i talk about this a lot because it's, i think it's so important is um we want to decide how we want to use technology in a way that uh, doesn't make us frenzied, but can actually even bring us closer to Krishna. It's not that we, you know, throw all of our iPhones in the uh, Potomac River, which is the, by the way, the picture behind Henry. Uh, but we want to use them wisely. Um, Kamal, you have a question? Oh yes, I do. So, um, so this is a follow-up question that I asked previously. So I understand also I felt that uh, when I chant, uh, it make me feel happy. Uh, I, I'm not sure why, but, but my question is, uh, when I chant, I mean, should I ask for anything or should I not ask? I mean, what to expect, what not to expect? What is it? I mean, I understand it. Chanting is some, somehow it is working for me, you know, it's make me happy. <laughs> Very good. Well, that, that in and of itself is fine. The chant, uh, the different great gurus have explained the chanting in different ways, different great acharyas. The um, the one of the the one that Srila Prabhupada gave that was very simple was that it is requesting Krishna, requesting God to uh, allow us to serve Him, and chanting is service, and it's connecting. It's it's plugging into the spiritual energy, you know, um, and and so it's a it's a it, and one reason that it whether we know it or not, it's just like you know a young child if they if they touch you know the um, the stove they you know they may not know that it's hot or that it's going to burn them, but they they still get burnt whether they know it or not, right? It's the same effect. Um, so we may not oh, we may not know the meaning, but but the meaning is so powerful that it connects us, to, it's, and it's connected to what Dean was saying before because it's it's the prayer is a selfless prayer, it's a prayer from 
from the soul, from the heart, to be connected in union with Krishna. And, and there's no selfishness there. We're not asking, you know, oh Lord, I, I, you know, my next door neighbor got a Mercedes. I need a Tesla because I, you know, I want to do a little bit better than them. Right. So it's not one upmanship. It's not asking that, you know, my son gets into Harvard or, you know, my stock goes through the roof or whatever. It's saying that I want to be uh, connected with you, the source of everything. And that's why we feel happy. Very nice. Well said. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Um, great. Well, let's see. We have eight more minutes. And so let's at least finish this purple. There was one more um point i want maybe one more point let's see let me look at and and i you know the other thing i i um it helps me a little bit with this see if it helps you but whatever whatever um is your political uh bent right i'm just thinking of politics as one thing but there's other things as well um it's pretty crazy what's going on in the world, what's going on in our country, what's going on in a lot of other countries, not just, you know. Um, and when we think of Kali Yuga as an ocean of faults, then we can, it's, instead of like, oh my God, ah, it can be like, oh yeah, you know, it's Kali Yuga. <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> right, you know, you just kind of, you know, you just kind of, okay, so there's, there's a good symptom of Kali Yuga, not only the fast food uh, industry, but what about the, 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 the way politics is, is happening these days, right? And again, not, I'm not just picking on America, it's, it's many, many other parts of the world. Um, so I find it's, um, that, that, I guess I get, not, not relief, but put things in perspective maybe is a way to say it. And I can say, okay, well, that, that you know, Kali Yuga is an ocean of faults. There's another aspect of Kali Yuga happening in front of my face. And sometimes the other, the other reaction to that is, okay, therefore I don't have to like comb through whatever your favorite, you know, outlet is for news and find out all oh, the details of, but I can kind of give a more general, okay, well, there's Kali Yuga for you. I better chant Hare Krishna. So um, now I'm uh, looking at the same purport 23 after Prabhupada quotes Bhagavad Gita 8.16. From the highest planet in this material world down to the lowest, all are places of misery wherein repeated birth and death take place. Therefore, now one could say that could give you a pretty um, pessimistic view of the world, but it doesn't have to. So, okay, there's a place of miseries, but there is a way to not be miserable. <laughs> and that's, let's read about that. Therefore, not to speak of Going to the moon, even if one is promoted to the highest planetary system, Brahmaloka, there cannot be any happiness in this material world. Now we, okay, let's continue and then we'll talk about happiness. If one actually wants happiness, one must go to the spiritual world. The material world is characterized by a struggle for existence and survival of the fittest is a well-known principle. But the poor souls of the material world do not know what is survival and who is fit. I love this. That Prabhupada is giving a different definition to survival of the fittest. Here. It's really very clever, I thought. Uh, but the poor souls of the material world do not know what is survival and who is fit. Survival does not mean that one should die. Survival means that one should not die, but should enjoy 
and everlasting blissful life of knowledge. This is survival. The Krishna conscious movement is meant to make every person fit for survival. Indeed, it is meant to stop the struggle for existence. So he's not saying that we're not, this body's not going to die, but it would be the last death that we go to our eternal life in the spiritual world. So that's just to clarify that. And, and you know, we have to, we have to talk about this uh, within the last four minutes that we have, but what does Prabhupada mean? There can be no happiness in this material world. You know, people in Tampa Bay were so happy last year when their team won the Super Bowl. Or people in certain parts of the world were so happy when their political party won. Or, you know, like Monopoly, bank error in your favor, collect $200. You know, something happens that, so what? How can, how can he dare say there's no happiness? So this relates to what Andy was saying before. And what Andy was saying is very similar to what Krishna says in the, I keep forgetting if it's a 15th or the 16th verse in the second chapter. But of the Bhagavad Gita, that defining nasato vidite bhavo na bhavo vidite sataha, that, um, that what is real is something that's eternal, and what is false is something that's temporary. So in that sense, right, just like if I say you could be, I'll make you a billionaire, you could be a billionaire for 12 seconds. So from the viewpoint of eternity being a billionaire in this life is like 12 seconds <laughs> it's like a, a lightning flash in eternity right so from that point of view the happiness that Prabhupada is referring to is the spiritual happiness that Kamal was referring to now someone could argue there well he said he was happy when he was chanting then when the chanting was done happiness is done so that's also temporary well, no, because anything that goes into our spiritual bank account, so to speak, um, is never lost. And it's uh, just like Prabhupada would say, if you if you make if you're ten percent Krishna conscious in this life, you start your next life at eleven percent. Whereas if you accumulate a billion dollars in this life, who knows, right, Mister? Um, you know, who was a Howard Hughes? We don't know. Maybe he's, you know, uh, working a nine to five job on minimum wage, flip, flipping burgers someplace, right? You know, or whatever. We don't know, right? Because all the wealth that he had is, is no longer his anymore. So, I, I, you know, we could talk more about that. Uh, but really, I always like to respect everyone's time and end on time. So, thank you so much. Uh, we will continue this really, really interesting story. I think you're really not a just story, but pastime uh, that will will unfold in the upcoming verses and chapters about why did God take the form of a of a, of a tortoise and, and churning nectar and all there's all kinds of really wow, pretty amazing things uh, going on. So thank you so much, and thank you for. Uh, the people who are coming for the first time and for everyone who's listening um, to the recordings later. And we will continue the exciting episodes of the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam next week. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Prabhu. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Bye.